All right, well, we're going to continue our study today in Proverbs. And I think I had indicated, now obviously we didn't meet last week, but I think week before last I had indicated we were going to move into a, a study, a, a focus on um, the, the family as it's, as it's discussed in Proverbs. But I, I'm going to hold off on that for uh, at least uh, this week and possibly step into that um, as a category next week. And as we've been talking about, that when you look at Proverbs, uh, it, it, it is, there's a number of ways to approach the book of Proverbs, and, and we're, but now we've kind of moved out of just going verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we're really just looking at Proverbs as, they, as it speaks to a variety of, of subjects or categories uh, pertaining to a life of wisdom or a life of folly, um, depending upon uh, the passage or the verse. And so today we're going to take up uh, a section on, well, actually, let me, let me start by asking a question. Um, when you think about the book of Proverbs, uh, what, what, is, what is the main thrust or subject that Proverbs deals with? Wisdom. Um, when you think about how Proverbs presents information or content or instruction on wisdom, what are some of the ways that it often sets up that instruction from a narrative standpoint, from the way that it's written. Right and wrong contrast, right? So when you think of the wise, the contrast to the wise would be the fool. That's right. And so Proverbs deals extensively with putting before us the contrast, the the profile contrast of the wise in the characterization or the profile of the fool. And really when you look at Proverbs, you see this on a spectrum. It's not just one particular uh, definition or one particular characterization. It's really folly on a spectrum. So today we're going to talk about this spectrum of folly as we see it in Proverbs. And of course, uh, this is a survey kind of study. There's no way we could look at every single verse and, and do an exhaustive study of this in one setting. But we do want to kind of highlight what Proverbs talks about on this spectrum of folly by way of contrast to that of wisdom. And so when you think about even the term spectrum, let me just kind of give you a definition of it and then kind of an example of it that hopefully will guide us as we move uh, further into our time today. A spectrum is a broad range of varied but related ideas or objects, the individual features of which tend to overlap so as to form a continuous series or sequence. So when we're talking about a spectrum of folly, we're not talking about individual isolated elements or components that are self-contained. And so you've got this version or form or characterization of folly that looks like this, and here's how it acts or here's how it functions. And you've got this one on this part of the spectrum and this one, they're all self-contained. No, a spectrum, by definition, talks about overlap, intermingling, but it it's covers sort of a broad range of ideas or concepts about, in our particular case, folly. And you could think about this in terms of, and I, I, this is really coming from uh, the domain that I operate in, in education, but oftentimes in, in educational circles, you, you, you run into discussions about the autism spectrum um, that affects many, many children or autism spectrum disorder, here's how that's defined. It's the name for a group of developmental disorders that includes a wide range 
or a spectrum of symptoms, skills, and levels of disability. Some people are mildly impaired by the symptoms, while others are severely disabled. And so this idea of a spectrum is a wide, broad range, and so it's not something that can be contained and defined very, very, very narrowly. So as we go through this, we'll highlight some of these characterizations of folly, knowing that we're not talking about one individual type of person, and that's how they're characterized, and they're not characterized any other way. The fact of the matter is, is that any of us and anyone out there could be characterized by any or all of these things at any given point in time. So, it's a, again, it's a spectrum that we're talking about, to use that term. So, on that spectrum, we've talked about this a little bit um, when we were looking at chapter 1. We were looking at the introduction to Proverbs, because the first chapter, Solomon says, kind of, here's, here's why I'm writing this. Here's, here's, who, here's who will benefit from this writing on wisdom. Here are the beneficiaries of wisdom, and it identifies uh, some of these on this spectrum. Do you, anybody remember some of those terms that that we introduced a while ago to identify those who would be considered foolish? Do you remember the simple? Right? Proverbs talks about the simple. Um, We're going to look at three. I'm going to go ahead and give you my outline here. We're going to look at three terms that that Proverbs uses prominently to kind of identify attributes or character characteristics on this spectrum of folly uh, throughout the book. And the first one, as I just said, is the simple. The second one is the fool. And there are different terms for that in Hebrew that we'll look at. And then the third one is the scoffer. Or another term for that would be the scorner. So if we're just kind of trying to identify the spectrum, give us some handles to grab onto so that we're not getting too granular and too meticulous in our evaluation. We certainly could break this down into probably some smaller increments, but for the sake of kind of our study and our outline to walk through this, we'll talk a little bit about the simple, the fool, and the scoffer today. Now, when you look at the simple in Proverbs, uh, it's a Hebrew word called pethi. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that exactly right, but but it's, it's just a word that means simple. It means naive. It means foolish. It means open-minded, gullible. gullible, easily misled. We talked about this and elucidated this a little bit uh, when we were looking at chapter 1. But this is a, this is a specific sort of uh, term, both um, in terms of the language itself that's used, the term that's used in Hebrew, but also and how it's characterized in Proverbs. It's something that's unique, although it's on a spectrum, and so it, it does overlap. We'll talk about this uh, as we go through this. But we're talking initially about those who are gullible is a good word. That's a, that's a, that's a very apropos word. Those who are naive, those who are easily misled, those who are easily drawn into folly. That's, that's the simple in Proverbs. It's oftentimes associated with those who are young or with the, with the youth because youth are oftentimes just unexperienced. They, they don't, there's developmental limitations. There's all kinds of things that would lend itself to young people being characterized as naive or simple and ultimately engaging in a lifestyle or doing things that you would consider foolish. And so... It also can be characterized as silly, this sort of inappropriate 
out of time and place, not, not sensitive to the environment that you're in or the circumstances that you're in, and there's just a simple-mindedness, there's just a lack of awareness uh, that, that could be characterized by the simple. That's, that's kind of the, the definition that you would find um, in Proverbs of this, this term on the spectrum of folly called the simple. And, and oftentimes, uh, it also, and when you think about how it's defined as gullible, um, for example, chapter 1, verse 10 speaks of if sinners entice you, it's speaking of being drawn into something. That's, that's the verb form. That, that word entice is the verb form of the simple. So it gives you an idea of when, when that term, uh, pathi, is used in its verbal uh, tense, it's translated to entice or to be drawn in. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of the actual term and how it's defined. So when we look at this, the simple, you can kind of break it down a little bit into a couple of different ways to view it from Proverbs. But when you think of the simple from just sort of a mental standpoint, mentally, the simple are naive, they're undiscerning, they're unreflective, might be another way to look at it. Those who are simple are not characterized by thinking carefully about matters before drawing conclusions or taking action. They don't reflect upon things. They can be very impulsive or reactive. And, and the idea of being open-minded is sort of the converse of being reflective. It's, it's just, you know, whatever comes, comes. And I, I mean, I'm, today I might believe this and tomorrow I might believe that. Today I might be informed by this kind of trend and tomorrow I might be informed of that kind of trend. It's just, it's it's like the New Testament describes those who are tossed to and fro. There's no rooting and grounding because there's no thoughtfulness. There's no reflective thinking. That's sort of a mental characterization. Um, Proverbs 14.15 is a good reference point for that. And again, we're going to be kind of jumping around here, so um, you might either note these down, and, and if you're a fast uh, page turner or whatever, you've got an app or whatever to get to it quickly, but uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time in you know, lengthy passages, so it's going to be pretty quick, but if you look at Proverbs fourteen fifteen to kind of get an idea of this naive mindset, this undiscerning, unreflective mindset, it says in Proverbs fourteen fifteen, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So again, using this great tool of contrast to, to highlight what, what is being taught here, it's drawing a contrast between open-minded, taking in and believing everything versus having a thoughtfulness about you, thinking before you step. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Or another reference point is Proverbs 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. In other words, the simple, they're characterized by not paying attention to warning signs that are before them. Just kind of rushing in headlong. That's the idea of maybe impulsiveness. Uh, Not paying attention would be another way to look at it. And again, you can easily see when you start to, to 
define this more and more and look at these passages in Proverbs, you can easily see how this would be characterized by those who are young, more naturally by those who are young. However, we know that that's not exclusively the domain of the simple, right? But that's another example of, of, of the simple, someone who just goes in, who rushes in, and they suffer for it. But the prudent sees danger. They, they're more cautious and aware of threats and dangers and those that, things that would harm them. So that's kind of the mental profile of the simple. But the moral profile, and we need to be careful we understand this, it's not that the simple are... Um, sort of unwitting, being carried along, and it's really not their fault kind of people. I mean, Proverbs characterizes the simple as willful in their naivete and, and, and responsible for their simpleton ways. Um, it's, it's a willful irresponsibility, a willful naivete. Proverbs 1, verse 32 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away. It gives this indication of a willful turning away from the call of wisdom, from the appeals of, of God's word and God's truth. And they suffer, even to the point of death, it says here, by their willful turning away. There's an element of stubbornness to remain simple is kind of the idea here. So there's not, there's not an innocence here. There's not a... There's not an, there's, and it's not just a characterized by an innocent immaturity that they really can't do anything about or have no control over. That's not the, the full characterization. Someone, a child who is naive, because they're a child and they're immature, they haven't learned, they haven't experienced, that's immaturity. You can define that or characterize that in a different way. I mean, you could say they're simple-minded, but really what Proverbs is talking about is something that has a culpability attached to it stronger culpability attached to it than just being youthfully naive and unexperienced and unlearned. So there's a moral component here because they turn away um, from the call of wisdom, and really that turning away is what perpetuates their simpleton ways. They, they stay in that place because of their turning away. And, of course, consequences can be grave. You look at chapter 1, verse 22, and again, using that, that, uh, that device that's often used in Proverbs, or used numerous times in Proverbs, of personifying wisdom, making wisdom sort of come to life and calling out in the streets and that kind of thing. Well, you have that going on in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, and wisdom is saying, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? So again, there's, a, there's a, a love or a desire to remain simple. There, there's, there's a willful engagement of remaining naive and simple. Not, not an innocence. There's culpability here. How long will you love being simple? And the fact is that the simple in Proverbs are mentally and spiritually lazy. They're willfully thoughtless. They're unreflective, and they're undisciplined. And in fact, to maybe understand this in a little bit of a different way, you can look at what Proverbs would hold up as a possible corrective to the simple in Proverbs 19, verse 25. Proverbs 19, 25 says, Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. 
So it kind of batches the scoffer term and the simple into one passage, and it, it talks about striking them, that that might be a tool to help them learn prudence. Derek Kidner says it this way, because of his lazy thoughtlessness, he, the simple, may need a visual aid to bring him to repentance. He calls it a visual aid, this striking. All I know is that my dad used to say to my brother and I, do I need to slap some sense into you? Have you ever heard that term? This is kind of the idea here. Startling them, trying to get their attention. Don't be simple, wake up, is the idea. So that, that, that corrective sort of overt action gives you an idea of, of what this simple-minded person is like. They need to be slapped across the face. Wake up, sober up. This is serious. The dangers are real. And when you think about our culture, think about simple-mindedness as a characteristic pervasive in our culture. People, even people in the context of the church, even us, we can live our lives in such a way that we are so simple-minded, we are not aware that we are in the midst of an absolute war, a battle. And we can, we can think in ways that are just totally naive to the actual war that's being waged all around us. And as such, we can be rendered ineffective for a time, right? In our gospel mission, in our efforts to serve and minister to others, whatever it might be, by being simple-minded in the same way. We can find ourselves on this spectrum, in other words. Um, being redeemed by the grace of God, being filled with His Spirit, does not necessarily prevent us or inoculate us from falling into simple-mindedness. That requires daily sanctification, time in the Word, meditation, right? I mean, it's just... The point is, we don't need to be thinking about all those simple people out there, right? We need to be watching for our own simple-minded ways at times. But this is a really, I think, a really compelling way to look at it. It's like a slap across the face. Wake up. Sober up. Serious dangers around you. Serious threats. The consequence could be deadly. It's not all fun and yucks. Don't be simple-minded. Well, so what happens? I'll ask you guys this question. What happens, do you think, to the simple if they don't begin to heed the calls of wisdom or sober up when someone slaps some sense into them or tries to anyway? What, what happens? What does this ultimately lead to, you think? Aside from, aside from the sort of the more perilous consequences that I read from Proverbs already, what, what's, what's, what happens? What, what's, the, what's the progression here for the simple? What do you think? Slippery slope to what, though? Sin and greater folly, right? Yeah. So, so the idea here is that, and that's why it's important to not, to not take the term the simple or not view this idea of naive and, and put it into some kind of um, semi-innocent box or some sort of static state. It, it's not. Those who persist in their simple-minded ways don't stay there, is, is the point. Isn't that part of the problem today is that lots of 
popularity of the phrase TMI, too much information, they don't want to know. That's right. That's right. Don't bother, don't trouble me with the facts. Yeah. 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 My mind is made up. That's right. Absolutely. So, um, I'm doing a lot of, I say a lot, I've, I've started, that would be a total mischaracterization of what I'm doing. I, I've started to do some research um, and some reading in this whole area of uh, critical thinking and the vast decline in critical thinking in our culture and in educational circles and so forth. And it's it's dramatic. I mean, it, the, we're talking the we're talking generational effects. We're talking substantial societal impact, strictly tied to a palpable, measurable, and now sustained drop off, reduction in basic critical thinking skills and practices amongst young people, and now adults, college students, and those who graduate. So much so that there's been really extensive and well-documented research done on how college professors, many, many college professors who are teaching young people in colleges, do not know how to engage in critical thinking. And so the net result of that, a lot of the, I mean, they they tie this to, uh, part of it is tied to um, the technological revolution and how students, how young people have been put into, in front of technology as a means of learning, and, and there's actual uh, cognitive development that they're studying to, set, to see how that limits critical thinking skills and establishes patterns uh, and ways of thinking that are very difficult for them to break out of as they get older. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty compelling and interesting and significant. But the bottom line is, is that when you have people who don't think critically, who don't think reflectively about much of anything, they are ripe for rapid, easy indoctrination to whatever the prevailing wave of thought is. Does that sound familiar at all? That's what we're, that's what we're dealing with in our, our society now. And it's, I mean, it's widespread. And it's not confined to... The um, all the pagan people out there—it's in the church, it's it's amongst us. It's I mean it's it's a it's a huge huge problem, a, a major major challenge that has impact both in terms of the effectiveness of the body of Christ and its Christian witness and its ability to effectively engage the culture and deal with issues that are. I mean, what 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 often happens when? someone who would consider themselves a conservative Christian evangelical gets into some type of debate arena uh, dealing with one of these sticky wicket sort of cultural movement kind of issues like transgenderism, and maybe five minutes into the debate, they're just throwing out, you know, news blurb, talk radio sound bites. They're not not responding thoughtfully to those those challenges oftentimes. And so their, their very Christian witness becomes... Compromise for their lack of ability to engage in a thoughtful discussion and debate about these matters, drawing from the deep truths of God's word and, and all this. I mean, it's, it's, it's all around us. So it's a huge challenge. And, and Proverbs, I think, characterizes or categorizes on this spectrum this idea of the simple-mindedness in a profound way. And it's going somewhere. It's leading somewhere. 
Proverbs 14, 18, says this, The simple inherit, or another term would be acquire folly. They, they, they become inheritors or those who acquire foolishness. In other words, they move, they don't stay just naive, happy-go-lucky, gullible, kind of silly, kind of goofy, kind of unwise and foolish and youthful. They end up in the place of the fool. It's kind of like if you, if you looked at it, not as a spectrum, but as sort of like you know, grade levels, they graduate into full, full-blown foolishness is the idea. They graduate from the school of simple-mindedness and become a full-blown fool. That's not an accurate characterization, but that's generally the, you know, a, a way to kind of envision it a little bit. The simple inherit or acquire folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Kidner, again, Derek Kidner says it this way, One does not stay still. A man who is empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. In fact, to the truly empty-headed, those who, those who Proverbs calls senseless... Folly is, quote, fun, from, verse, from chapter 15, verse 21. For they have nothing better to do than to chase after vanities, from Proverbs 12, 11. So Proverbs 15, 21 that he references says, Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. That's another way to identify the simple. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. In Proverbs 12, 11, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Again, to Kidner's point, empty-headedness is not a static condition. Simple-mindedness is not a static condition. It leads to wrong-headedness, in Kidner's words. It leads to ultimate folly, full-blown folly intentional folly. So let's take up the next sort of characterization on this spectrum of the fool. So in Proverbs, there are three primary words that are translated fool. The first one is kasil, and it simply means fool or stupid fellow, which I guess the ladies are off the hook. Congratulations. Um, Dullard, Simpleton, arrogant one, those are just some, some terms to define this particular translation, kasil, of fool. It's the, definitely the most prominent term used for fool or translated fool in Proverbs. It's, it's used 49 times in Proverbs. There's another term, uh, awil. It's similar to this term, kasil, but it suggests... Um, Stupidity or stubbornness, it kind of has a little bit more of a, an edge to it, I think. It's a foolish man or one who despises wisdom. It's, in other words, it's a little bit of a darker term for the fool. It has a little bit more of a dark tone to it, if you want to use that terminology. Yeah, and that attitude gets more pronounced when you get to the scoffer. It gets more aggressive. So it's, it's a good way to kind of think of it in terms of it. It's a little bit of a progression there, yeah. Um, this term is the second most used term, used 19 times in Proverbs for fool. And then the third term is nabal. It's only used three times in Proverbs, but it's translated fool. 
And it really, it, it doesn't, when you look at the, its uses, it doesn't add a whole lot to the idea more than what you see in these other two terms, um, except um, what I believe Kidner described as a boorishness uh, or, or a coarseness, bad-mannered, maybe kind of a, a slant to it. So it just adds a little, little nuance to the other ways to characterize someone who is called a fool. They're, they're foolish, they're, they're stubborn, they're arrogant, they're dull, they're, they're simple, they're, they're all of that. And so you'll see how on this, they can be aggressive in their folly. So you see how it's a spectrum. I mean, you use the term here, simple, to define it, because the characteristics overlap on the spectrum. They do overlap. So let's look at the fool just sort of in himself. We'll look at it from two different angles. The fool in himself and the fool in society. Um, one of the main characteristics that you see in Proverbs is, is this fool, and we've talked about this, especially when we looked at Proverbs chapter 2, but the fool totally lacks the patience and concentration required to search for and grow in wisdom. But as Kidner says, he imagines it can be handed out to him over the counter. So at the same time that the fool in Proverbs completely lacks the, the patience or the concentration that's necessary for a, an enduring search for wisdom, it, like in Proverbs chapter 2, search for it like treasure, to value it and to seek after it, he, he lacks that kind of patience, that kind of commitment, that kind of concentration and at the same time, he thinks that it's easily acquired. So it kind of goes hand in glove there. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, says it this way, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. It's this idea of totally lack of focus. Right? You see the contrast there. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom. It's this picture of determined focus and concentration and, and dedication to this pursuit, contrasted with the eyes of a fool that are on the ends of the earth. Just completely distracted, lacking focus, not having any ability to, or any desire really to engage in a pursuit of the truth and an understanding of God and His Word and His world. No patience, no, no interest, no concentration. Proverbs seventeen sixteen, again, hearkening back to Kidner's statement about how the fool imagines that this wisdom can just be handed out to him over the counter. Proverbs seventeen sixteen says, Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Another commentator, Moffat, said this of, of this verse. He says, Why does a fool offer the sage a fee when he has no mind to learn? So in other words, the fool fancies himself wanting something that he has no real interest in having or obtaining. That's the essence of the fool. Another sort of characteristic that we see of the fool in Proverbs is he laps up foolish ideas. He just, he just sort of takes them in like a dog drinking from a muddy puddle on the side of the road. Just laps them up. And then he just freely pours them out. 
thinking they're wise and not even recognizing the folly of it all. Proverbs 15, verse 14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. They're consumers of folly. They take it in. Again, like that dog lapping it up. And then they're more than willing to share their wisdom with the world, not recognizing it as folly. Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. I mean, it's this picture of just liberally setting it forth. Um, Anybody have any experience with that in your world? Uh, Just... Yeah. In comparison to a book. Yeah. And, you know, when you see people um, on TV, you know, pontificating on any range of matters, news, now weather, whatever it might be. I mean, everything, everybody's got an opinion about pretty much everything. And, and it's, it's really shallow, repetitive sound bites. Over, everybody's saying the same things over and over again with very little thought or content or substance over and over and over again. And yet, there is an air. Uh, well, actually, they're oftentimes put forward as what? Experts. These are the, how many times have you, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched an expert pontificate on something. I'm going, he just spent five minutes saying absolutely nothing. And he got, a, he got the title expert in this or that. So that's, that's the nature of this. It's, it's actually folly on display without even recognizing that it's folly and, in, in fact, thinking it's quite the opposite. So that's another characterization you have of, of the fool, of the, just of, of how they, they are in Proverbs. The fool not only fails to recognize his own folly, but he is completely unfazed by the repeated rebukes of wisdom. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. They're just unfazed by correction and rebuke. They don't even see it. They don't even recognize it. And of course, it gets even more aggressive, as you said, than that as we go on. But the root of the fool's problem it's not mental, but it's like, it, it's, it's the fact that the fool loves his own folly. It, the fool has a great admiration for his own folly. Um, obviously doesn't see it as folly, wouldn't characterize it as folly, but, but likes it, enjoys it, relishes in it, and returns back to the same thing over and over and over again. This image that Proverbs gives us in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. That's a great image, isn't it? I mean, how... 
Uh, and anyway, I'm not going to elaborate on that image, but yeah. But a dog, I mean, they do, that's, they enjoy it. It's, it's just like, how is this possible? But that's the, that's the image. And if you really extrapolate that and t- kind of bring it into you know, our context and real life and think about various scenarios and spheres of interaction and human relationship and conversation and communication, you can see it. I see it myself from time to time. When you're in, involved in, if you, if you do any counseling or any discipleship work, and you're, you're meeting with someone, I, I'm assuming, like me, you've had the experience where you feel like you're having to talk about the same things over and over again. And if you're counseling from God's Word, you, you really don't have a, a new insight to give, right? I mean, you... <laughs> Basically, it's the same thing. Maybe you come up with a different verse this time or something or a different passage, but, but what you end up seeing in that scenario is you end up seeing someone that they, they must love staying in this place that they're in. They keep coming back to it. And even though you've had a period of time where you've spent with them and they seem to have been receptive to the truth and agreed with it and said, that's right, that's what I need to do, I need to start thinking like this and In other words, there's not an absolute resistance to it. On the face of it, when push comes to shove, they return back to the same foolish patterns of thinking, which would indicate that somehow they want to be there, right? No one's pushing them there. No one's forcing them there. That's kind of the idea. And that would be the fool in Proverbs. The root of his problem is not mental. He just loves his folly. And at the core of the fool's folly, at the core of the fool rejecting, is rejecting the fear of the Lord. And this is what ultimately destroys him. At, this, at the core, the fear is rejecting the fear of the Lord. As it says in Proverbs one twenty nine, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And then in verse 32, the second half of that verse in chapter 1, the complacency of fools destroys them. At the core, the fool does not fear the Lord. And that's what ultimately leads to their downfall, their destruction. Well, you have this, uh, this idea also talked about in Kidner's commentary, The Fool in Society. And he basically just characterizes the fool in society as essentially, and he says, if I had to give you one word, it's a menace. The fool is a menace in the context of society. He says this, at best, he wastes your time. Quoting from Proverbs 14, 7, you will not find a word of sense in him. The, the prior statement is, stay away from him. Don't let him waste your time because you're not going to find a word of sense in him. He goes on to say, he may be a more serious nuisance. If he has an idea in his head, nothing will stop him. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Proverbs 17, 12. In other words, a fool who has an idea in mind is determined and 
that effect on society, on those around him, can be serious. There's a determination to proceed, pursue, accomplish whatever foolish ends he has set in his mind to accomplish. And most of the time, especially in the context of culture, society, community, the spillover is felt by those around him. There's a sorrowful element to the fool in society. Some people, Kidner says, cannot disown him. It is their tragedy. To his father and mother, the fool brings sorrow, Proverbs 10.1 and 17.21, and bitterness, Proverbs 17.25, and calamity, Proverbs 19.13. It is the price of loving him, but it causes him no qualms because he despises them. And you think of the heartbreak of a mother or a father who has to deal with a son or a daughter who is pursuing aggressively a life of folly. And we as parents, you as a parent, know that the end is not, not good. In fact, it's deadly, it's destructive. The heartbreak that that brings. So when you think of the fool in the context of society, you think of this heartbreaking kind of effect that can happen. When you look at this other term, um, a, wee, a wheel for fool, again, it, it suggests stupidity and a, and a stubbornness. Um, when he opens his mouth, it becomes known. He's quarrelsome. He doesn't know restraint. There's a number of references. I'm trying to kind of get us through to the next section here. And again, Nabal, this other term for fool, it occurs just a few times, and again, it's, it's equated to a boorishness. Um, Kidner notes Proverbs 17.7 and Proverbs 30.22. Just out of time and place, poorly mannered behavior, that kind of thing. But the fool, again, on the spectrum, can engage in actions, words that would be more, according to Proverbs, specifically characterized as a scoffer. Again, the spectrum, they overlap. Simple can be a scoffer. The scoffer can be simple. The foolish, you know, it's, it's, it's a spectrum. So let's talk a little bit about the scoffer from Proverbs, or another way to look at it is the scorner. And again, this idea of it becoming more aggressive, there's a more egregious kind of tone and nature to this. This term appears 17 times in Proverbs. <clears throat> and it's really about the attitude. Not, not, it's not a mental capacity issue. It's really about someone's attitude that they're manifesting. And probably the biggest characteristic that you see in Proverbs for the scoffer is his strong, and this is kind of putting it mildly, his strong dislike for correction. I mean, the scoffer at the core of his folly is his vehement disdain and dislike, even angry aggression toward any form of rebuke, any form of correction. In fact, Proverbs 9, verses 7 to 8, describes it this way. There's like a warning to all of us. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Watch out. (laughs) There's not a willingness there to receive your counsel if you're dealing with a scoffer. 
Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. You know, sometimes, both in our working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and dealing with our own sin, we need to be evaluating, have we become resistant to the counsel we're receiving? Are we, do, do we respond with a level of aggression and anger to the kind and loving rebukes that people around us might be providing for us? We need to be careful. We could find ourselves in the category of the scoffer ourselves. On the flip side, if we're engaged in a relationship, discipleship, counseling, just you know, relationships in the body of Christ or outside the body of Christ, in your community, we need to be mindful of the fact that once someone firmly entrenches themselves in this position, this profile of the scoffer, um, our efforts to correct and rebuke not only might be met with silent resistance, but if it's a scoffer, it could be met with anger and even potential injury. And again, think about what's going on you know, in our day and time now, where there's no, there's no sort of disagreement, even, even passionate disagreement. It's, it's violent reaction. It's, it's aggressive, don't tell me this or that kind of responses. So Proverbs would take this kind of to a whole nother level of folly. The, the, the entrenched, firm conviction of your rightness and anyone who questions you's wrongness is significant. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. They don't have ears to hear. And you know, further, the scoffer's mischief, the scoffer's challenge in society and in, in, in the community, it's not random like that oftentimes associated with the simple or, or the fool. In other words, if you're in the company of someone who is behaving foolishly or is simple-minded and is gullible or whatever, you might get a little bit of spill off of their folly and be affected by it in some way, but they're not necessarily in those moments, in those instances, in those circumstances, intentionally trying to harm you. They're just, they're foolish actions. You're feeling some of the consequence of their folly. But with the scoffer, there is a, a, an effort to undermine, to debunk truth, to persuade and influence the simple. I mean, it's, it's more, much more aggressive, much more assertive in nature. They're, they're more of a troublemaker intentionally. Proverbs 21-24, 24, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. In 22-10, Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. So in other words, it's saying... This, this scoffer, if you remove them, then here's what goes with them. Strife and quarreling and abuse. That's, 
That's the accoutrements of the scoffer. It's aggressive. It's, it's palpable. It's intentional. A little further and more even vivid example of the scoffer's intents, Proverbs 29.8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. And of course, when you see sort of the, the consequence or the judgment that befalls the scoffer, it's, it's devastating. It's condemnation, and it is a devastating taste of his own medicine. That's how Proverbs characterizes it. In Proverbs 19.29, condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the backs of fools. And then Proverbs 3, verses 33 to 35, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the other end of the Lord's scorn. I might be able to stand up under your scorn, but I don't want to be on the receiving end of the Lord's scorn. And that's the end game for the scoffer who remains in his scoffing state. Well, that kind of gives us an idea from Proverbs of this spectrum of folly. And again, I think it's helpful to kind of see that in contrast to what wisdom would look like. In fact, you can look at the, these different profiles and basically say, just do and be the opposite, and you're on a good track. See that? Okay, do the opposite. That's kind of the idea of drawing that contrast, and Proverbs does that masterfully well. Again, I think it's important for us to be reminded that when we look into the scriptures like this, um, the call of the Lord on our lives would be to be reflective, not projective. We don't project out and try to identify all the simple-minded and all the fools and all the scoffers in our world that are causing us trouble, right? God help us to think about ways that we're simple-minded, that we're acting in folly, and possibly that we've maybe reached a point either in certain relationships or around certain subjects certain sensitive elements of our life, maybe certain areas of sin that we want to hold on to with a firm grip. And anytime someone gets close to that with a gentle rebuke, we dig in, we lash out, even in anger. We maybe turn into an accuser to try to shift our own guilt away from us. I mean, we, we do that. And we need to be mindful of, of where we might be sitting on this spectrum ourselves. God help us. Any final thoughts or comments? Give us an answer as to how to cope with fools. Yes, um, we will talk about that. You're going to have to just deal with them until we get to that. I'm sorry. There's, there's, uh, there's. We talked a little bit about it last time. We talked about uh, don't answer a fool according to his folly, and then answer a fool according to his folly. That's one. In some cases, uh, this passage talks about. Uh, I didn't quote it. I kind of quoted a portion of it from reading from Kidner. But don't allow them to waste your time. Stay away from them. There's elements of, of removing yourself from it. From the scoffer, don't try to rebuke a scoffer or you'll get hurt. So there's those kinds of counsel. So um, it's, interesting. it's an interesting thought process and, and point of discussion, though, to determine what this looks like in the context of evangelism. 
in the context of gospel witness in the community. Um, it's, 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 this is not counsel to go into our holy huddles and stare at our navels and, and relish in how wise we're becoming. God loves even the fool. That's right. So we have, we, have a, we have a mission to those who there but for the grace of God go us uh, might be entrapped in varying ranges of folly. Yes? It, it makes the call to witness kind of risky. A little bit. Christian, Christianity is a little risky, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's a little bit dangerous. Well, um, you know, the, we were all born into a state where we were fools. That's right. And, you know, being simple is not being able to understand the second and third order consequences of our actions. Being silly is not being serious and understanding the danger that's ahead. Being a scoffer is scorning the judgment that's prepared for those who remain in uh, unrepentance. And God intervened to make us repent. And so it's up to us to use Proverbs and and wisdom that's given to us by the Holy Spirit to live godly lives as we seek to build his kingdom and also to be um, sympathetic to the fool to understand that these people are, you know, unregenerate, they haven't, they haven't had the intervention of the Holy Spirit. But in Second Peter, verse 1, uh, tells us, um, let's see. It goes through a series of uh, things, you know, uh, add to your faith, uh, maybe, uh, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours at, uh, increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's why I say, I mean, even, even though we have been redeemed and our position is settled, we still, in our flesh, find ourselves behaving at times like those who are not redeemed in our own folly. And so the sympathy and the empathy and the gospel witness is a compulsion for us to exercise. All right, well, let's close in prayer and we'll be dismissed.